All right. Welcome to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. This is Jim. Andrew's having a little technical difficulties. He's going to join us, so I'm going to start. We'd like to welcome our guest today, Mike. Mike, help me again. Dale. Dalhusen. Dalhusen. Born in the Netherlands, he moved to North America as a teen uh, to pursue hockey, first in the OHL with the uh, Lindsey Muskies, and then the USHLs, both with the Chicago Steels and the Lincoln Stars. He played college at Quinnipiac, which we're going to talk about since they just won the championship. Uh, Mike also uh, played for his home country in the U18, U20 tournaments in 2013. He signed with the New York Islander organization and played with the uh, AHL affiliate in Bridgeport. Played all over the place in the next few years that we're going to let Mike talk about. He was in Stockton. He's played overseas in the VHL, uh, the Denmark, Slovakia, Italy, the Dell 2. You name it, he's done it. So without further ado, please welcome our guest, Mike. Mike, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. It's been, uh, been a bit of a whirlwind trying to connect with the time difference, but I'm happy we finally made it work. You know, and it is crazy. We... Uh, the first time we had a time problem was with uh, Shane Corson, uh, old NHLer from the 80s and 90s. And we screwed up the time just in like Canada, which is not hard to do. And, yeah. uh, you know, we tried not to do that again because he, he was he wasn't happy, but he wasn't uh, he was a good sport about it. He was on like three hours earlier than what we were supposed to do. But that was my fault. So I'm glad we got this figured out. Yeah. Anyway, welcome here. So. Born in the Netherlands, talk a little bit about um, how you got interested in hockey. And then as a teen, you pop on over to North America, obviously, to probably train as hockey. And I should say that you are like 6'2", 220, something like that, right? So you're a big guy for the listeners that might not know you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for Dutch standards, I'm, I'm very average size. I don't know if you know, but the Dutch the Dutch people are the tallest race in the world. So oh, I didn't uh, know that. as soon as I came over, like back over towards North America, yeah, I was, I was a little bit bigger than the average person. But uh, no, the first time I went to the, uh, to Canada was when I was seven years old. Uh, my dad used to take me for uh, hockey schools in the summer. My dad was a big soccer fan. And in the winter breaks, when there was no soccer, he would take me to hockey games. And he always said, if I have a son, I'd like to get him into hockey. Uh, at the time, in the early 90s, uh, hockey was actually pretty good in Holland. Well, it was a stepping stone league to get to the next level, more or less comparable to, uh, let's say, Denmark nowadays, where, you know, it's a respectable league. And if you do well there, then you'll get some interest from the Dell or from other higher leagues. And at the age of seven, we first went over to Canada to Roger Nielsen's hockey camp. Yeah. And um, coming from uh, Holland, <clears throat> it was very unique. So Roger... Uh, spent a little bit of extra time talking to my dad and stuff and saying like, wow, how cool that you're coming all the way over from the Netherlands and asked him who I was. So he watched me on the ice and wow, he's actually, I think he's got some potential. Like we'd love to see you back next year. So we went back the year after and wow, his improvement is unbelievable. Like, you know, he, he could have the potential to play pro hockey one day in North America. So when my dad heard that, he was like, well, we'll be back next year and see if you still think that. And we went back for the third year. Uh, then I was 10 years old and Roger said, look, like the improvement I've seen over the course of three summers, it's unbelievable. You need to bring him over here and we're going to get him uh, 
you know, playing AAA here and, and developing faster than he would be in the Netherlands. And that's the main reason we went over there. My dad asked me when I was uh, 10 years old, hey, like Roger says, you can make it. Do you believe the same? Because mom, myself and Britt, I have a lot younger sister, two years younger than I was, uh, are willing to commit our whole life to getting you to be a professional hockey player one day. And so I was like 10 years old. I said, yeah, sure. Like, I love that. And he's like, I don't know if you realize what I'm trying to say, but like, you got to give it your all like every day until you make it because we're putting all of our lives on pause for you. And as a 10 year old, I was like, yeah, all right, fine. You know? And we went to Canada when I was 11, actually 2000, we moved. And um, yeah, I stayed there and, and until I, until uh, I was 17 when I moved to the States to play USHL. Wow. Wow. So talk to us a little bit about how you got, um, were you drafted in the OHL? Did you get picked up? How did you end up in the OHL? Uh, it's actually the OPJHL, like the, the okay. junior A. Yeah, I didn't. So I wanted to play, um, well, to go back, like when I was 11, I moved to Lin just outside of Lindsay, Ontario, a little town called Cameron, Ontario, 15 minutes outside of Lindsay. And basically, I thought that the Lindsay Muskies, which was the local junior A team there, was like, man, I was like, man, if I could ever play there, wow, that would be unbelievable. Then I was 14, 15 years old, and I was getting called up as a 15-year-old. Like, So I, I was, okay, well, I guess I got to set my goals a bit higher, and we'd go watch the OHL uh, games. The Peterborough Peets were nearby. The Barry Colts were nearby. So we'd go watch some games here and there. And when I reached 16, 17, my draft year for the OHL, I got so much interest from almost every team. And I was like, okay, wow, like I'm, I'm now I'm at the next level of the things that I was – aiming towards and then I heard about the, the college route and that was I always liked learning I always liked school and so it was a decision I made to, to go to the USHL uh, which at the time was still I mean not as popular as now now it's they're getting you know first round draft picks four or five around whatever like they're doing very very well but at the time it was sort of like in the middle of becoming not known and becoming more popular sort of in the middle and I went that route and uh, yeah, I mean, it ended up working out for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had three great years of juniors and uh, met some amazing people along the way, which is for me, the best thing about playing professional hockey is meeting the people. What was the best thing uh, or what should I say, which area did you grow the most as a hockey player during the, uh, your junior time? Wow. That's a good question. Um, I struggled uh, with some personal issues with my mom. My mom had cancer uh, when I first moved to Chicago. So that was really, really tough. And um, moving away from my family, living all by myself. I lived with, my, with, I lived with my coach at the time, Chris Imes. He was the coach of the USHL team, Chicago Steel, that I played for. I lived with him and his family. And that was tough because, of course, you know, I wanted to be with my mom, but that she insisted that I stayed, stayed doing back or I stayed playing. And um, so I think the biggest thing that grew on me was like being independent and taking care of myself when something else was really work, like something else very important was going on. But I stuck to my, my main priorities, which at the time was hockey and the thing that my parents want or my mom mostly wanted me to do. And um, yeah, I think the independence and taking care of myself in a way that I'd never done before was uh, pretty big. 
So talk to us now. You're going to be in the uh, NCAA. The, you go to college, university. Uh, did you have many different offers, and why um, did you pick Quinnipiac? Yeah. Um, well, I was playing in Lincoln at the time. Um, my first year there, I, I was very lucky to live with some amazing people. The Hart family, uh, Rick and Debbie Hart and their two boys, Chris and Nick, and I'm still very, very close with them. We speak at least once a week. My billet family from when I was 19. So that's that says enough as it is. And um, they were extremely supportive, especially my mom passed uh, the year that I was playing in Lincoln. And she's like my second mom, you know, and it was a, it was a very, very special year for me. And I just felt amazing to, to, to be there. And uh, it showed in my game. I was on, I was playing better than ever. And because of that, the college offers were coming in. Um, one of the first ones I got was uh, Cornell. Oh, no, sorry. Um, oh my God. St. Lawrence. Sorry. Okay. St. Lawrence. One of the first ones I got was St. Lawrence. And, um, they asked me to come out for a visit. I played with Brandon Boleg, who was who played who was playing in St. Lawrence, who came from Lincoln. And I went out for a visit. And uh, after St. Lawrence, I just fell in love with it. Like I lived in the country in Canada, and, and and it's up in North New York. It's like there's not a whole lot going on there. And for me, it was good. Like I loved the small town feel. And during my visit, I actually got an offer to go to Quinnipiac on a visit too. And they'd already bought my flight for the following week. So after the corn or the uh, St. Lawrence visit, the, the coaches were like, oh, so what'd you think? I said, man, honestly, I loved it. This is exactly where I feel good. Uh, they had an old rink. Like, I'm not a big fancy person. So I enjoyed the blue collar lifestyle there. And I said, but the only, the only thing is I have to honor Quinnipiac's visit. Like they already bought my flight. So I'm going to go there, but it's, I would say that I'm at like a 90% sure that I'm going to commit. So it was a very good feeling for me. And then I went to Quinnipiac who had just built a brand new arena in 2008 and I went there in 2009 and the $50 million facility, it was, everything was on another level. And then I was quickly swayed from being like loving the blue collar, hardworking kind of mentality to being like, wow, this, all this fancy stuff's also kind of nice, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of, to be honest, like I didn't say anything to St. Lawrence, absolutely nothing bad to St. Lawrence, but just the, the way I got treated at Quinnipiac and the way the things they have there were just on a whole other level. And I was like, wow, like, I think this is a place where I can get a lot better. And ultimately that's why I decided to go to Quinnipiac. Now as a alum, uh, you must be excited of their run this year. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, the coach there ran Pecknold, one of the, one of the best, uh, I would say definitely the best technical coaches I've ever had unbelievable guy as well but in terms of technical uh hockey philosophy he's on he's very 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 good and um very happy for him he's uh very successful every year been very close the year that we were there my freshman year uh we were we went to the tournament and my senior year we lost in the finals against Yale so that was heartbreaking but I'm happy for for the school and for for Rand mostly too that uh, he finally able to get the championship yeah. So the transition from um, USHL into NCAA competitive hockey, was there a, a, was there a difference that you noticed? The speed of the game, size, or was it pretty much the same? Um, no, I, I, well, I had to adjust my game. Uh, in the USHL, my first two years, I was fighting a lot. 
I was leading the league in fights pretty much. Well, my first two years, I, I think I was top three in the league in fights. And my second year, I got a bit of more important role in Lincoln where I was playing power play and more minutes and more important minutes. So I still fought a lot. But um, going to college, obviously, there's no fighting. So I had to adjust that. Uh, we had 13 freshmen coming into my senior or my college year. So like right away, I got an important role on the team. Usually if you join, a, if you join a college team, you're a freshman, you got to work your way in. But we had so many new freshmen and such so many graduates that I was lucky enough to have a starting role and uh, play big minutes. So yeah, uh, in terms of the, in terms of the game, of course, like all the best USHL players get good college scholarships. So it was definitely faster and, and better. Um, but I think I prepared for that. I, uh, I was ready, and um, yeah, just took it a day at a time. Andrew, Sorry, that's okay. Oh, Andrew, yeah. are you jumping in? I'm not sure if Andrew's with us or not. I think, I guess I think that was me. Someone was trying to call me. Okay. All right, well, we'll move on. So now let's talk uh, about how you got hooked up with the, organi uh, the Islander organization, and uh, where were you finishing? Was it your senior year, junior year? How did you get involved? So my senior year, uh, we, sorry, buddy. Some, someone keeps writing me. They're calling That's okay. me. So my senior year, we, uh, ended up going to the frozen four finals against Yale. We lost. And, um, obviously when you have a successful year, you get more attention from other teams. And, um, I remember just being completely devastated and, um, after the game, I checked my phone and I had several texts from, from NHL teams saying like, Hey, we're interested in talking to you, this and that, send us your advisor's number and this and that. So kind of changed my mood right away. And uh, one of the ones that was closest to where Quinnipiac was, was the New York Islanders. So I went on a visit there and, you know, they told me a bunch of nice things that I wanted to hear. And um, yeah, and I decided to sign with them and, that's basically how, how it went. They, they invited me right uh, during that time. They were playing as Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs. I think it was first round and it was a sold out belt barn. And I got to sit up there in the suite with the guys and it was pretty cool. So they, yeah, they just told me a nice bunch of nice things and I was sold and that's how it went. So uh, where was the point where you said, I think uh, this is going to work out for me and I get to be a pro and play hockey for a living. Was it just before the Islanders offer you a contract or was it in your college where you're like, yeah, this is going to happen? <laughs> it might sound cocky, but I, I knew that since I was a kid, I knew that I was destined to play hockey professionally. I, I know that this is something that even after my playing career, I want to continue as a coach. Like I'm a, I'm a, uh, our, my last coach uh, in, in Bolzano, his name is Glenn Hanlon, the best coach I've ever played for. He told me there's people who play hockey and then there's hockey players. And he goes, and he told me, you're a, you're a hockey player. And that's, that, that actually meant a lot to me because I actually feel like that, you know, after a long, long season and long playoffs, whatever you think, Oh man, I can't wait for the summer just to unwind. And even after the last game, I've, I got all kinds of little nicks and nacks and I'm not feeling the most healthy three, four days later, uh, after not being on the ice, I'm like, man, I'd love to go out and shoot some pucks. So I've always known that I'm destined to play hockey and that's something that's in my blood and yeah, not, not much is going to be able to sway me from choosing a different lifestyle. So, uh, I've known all my life that I wanted to play pro. So now you're a pro you're playing in the, uh, AHL East coast. 
you're playing with grown men supporting families. It's different than the university. Was it a, a again, the question comes up, a tough transition or uh, what was your thoughts going playing your first couple of games? Yeah, uh, the biggest transition that I found, which looking back on it, uh, shouldn't have been such a big uh, difference was that I was making money now, right? So I'm playing professional hockey and it's all of a sudden it's like my job, like this is my income. Nothing's free anymore. I have to find my own car. I have to find my own place to rent. I got to pay, pay for my own food. Like it's like growing up life, uh, which is possible because of the money. And I, th I think I took that a bit uh, too serious. Like I, I stopped sort of, uh, enjoying the game because I was more focused on, okay, how much money can I get here? How much money can I get there? Um, because I felt like I was like looking back on it. I'm sure if you talk to someone who knew me way back then and someone now they give you a complete different story as what kind of person I am. Um, back then, like I felt like, Hey, I deserve everything because I'm putting my life on the, or not life, but like my body on the line every night, I'm fighting for my teammates, fighting for the city, whatever I'm doing, like I'm taking punches to the face. I deserve more and I deserve more. And I kind of got tired from the physical point of it. Uh, seeing as I wasn't really getting rewarded from it, the Islanders were calling up from the ECHL to the AHL team in Bridgeport. They were calling up guys from different organizations here. I'm sitting in Stockton going, man, I have seven fights and five games. I got five points. Uh, what more do you want from me? You know? And it's just like, I don't know if that kind of, yeah, deterred them from calling me up going, we don't know if we want this kid who's just completely nuts about fighting and who thinks he deserves the world. Um, probably, but, um, you know, I learned from it and I strongly believe in things happening for a reason. And, uh, you know, things happened and here I am today, still happy. It wouldn't change a thing. And, uh, yeah kind of like that. So that was probably a big transition for me, realizing that money was now a big factor. So um, guess that drop the gloves and we've had on some, you know, some, some real heavy hitter guys from the, uh, uh, the NHL come on the podcast. Can you describe uh, just as a side note here, can you describe your mindset when you go into dropping the gloves? We love to hear about this. We've heard everything from, you want to go, you want to go, we're going to go. You drop the gloves and a, and a switch switches on and you just go to instant rage where you want to kill this guy to it's just part of the, you know, what I got to do. What's your mindset when you get into a, a scrum like that? Well, I'll tell you, Jim, that it's it changed over the course of the years. When I was 17, I was fighting because <laughs> – I thought the fan, like, I loved the fact that the fans liked it, right? I, girls were hot for guys who were fighting. Like, that was my thing. Was like, the more I fight, the more girls want me. And that was my thing when I was 17, 18, 19. Then after college, it was like, okay, if I fight and I beat everyone I can up, I'll maybe make it to the NHL as a fighter. Forgetting completely about the fact that I actually can play. Like, I, a lot of these fighters, they're – they're playing two, three minutes a night and they're just trying to intimidate the other team. I'm out there playing 19, 22 minutes a night and, and fighting on top of that. So um, when I was younger, I was doing it for the show. And then when I got to the uh, HL level, when I was being told, Hey, tomorrow you might have to fight this guy. I was terrified to be honest. Like I know how to fight, but I was, I was so scared. Um, almost like not, uh, not confident, but, but like scared that I would, that I would lose my cool or something. So I would study 
all of, I would just YouTube whoever it was that I was fighting, who, who potentially fighting and, and watch every fight I could. And then I would barely sleep because I'm playing it over and over in my mind going, okay, if he asks me or if I ask him or if it happens, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I don't think that there's any other job in the world except for a fight sport where you know you're going to go to work the next day and you have to bare knuckle fight somebody. So my mindset was more like, control my emotions, make sure that I defend myself, but also basically don't lose control. I didn't want to like, when the guy fell down, I needed to tell myself, okay, the fight's over. Let the refs take this out instead of like losing and raging, you know, like you said, some people just want to kill someone and me knowing how I am, I'm a very emotional person on and off the ice. If there's something serious, which there hardly ever is in hockey, because let's face it, we're all good guys. Like we're just playing a sport. If there's something really, really serious and you're allowed to fight, like that's a, that's a reason when you can really hurt someone without a real reason behind it. Right. So I was like, I just, every time I went into a fight, I'm going, I got to defend myself, win the fight in the eyes of the fans. And that's it. Like, I don't want to knock someone's all someone's teeth out. No. Right. You know, I want to make sure that like everybody walks away from this. Maybe it's, yeah, if he's got a little blood or there, but I don't want to injure someone or end anyone's career. Never. So that was kind of the thing that I was worried about. And I'm also going, I don't want anyone to in, like end my career. I've had several like major concussions from slamming my head on the ice after a fight that where I'm going, like, it's not really worth it. You know what I mean? So it's lifelong consequences. And I think that was the thing that. I was going into, and again, not scared of losing the fight or not scared of getting beat up, but more scared of the lifelong consequences that came with the chance of me not being able to control my emotions, which is something I've worked on ever since I was little. And, you know, at, at, when I'm 22, 23, like yeah. not the best time to lose your emotions, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So getting back to your hockey journey. So it sounds like things, um, with the Islanders organization, we've seen it with a, a with uh, other guests. Things just don't seem to be working out. You need to continue to make a living. You also need to strive to what you need to do and what's best for you. Um, at some point, you and I can't remember the first league that you went overseas for, but you finish up um, in North America. And where are we going next? Uh, I went to Denmark. Yeah, Denmark. Yeah, I went to Denmark. Um... Again, not a very physical league, not hardly any leagues in North America are very physical or sorry, in Europe are very physical. Um, and yeah, I went over to Denmark with a whole new mentality of enjoying, enjoying hockey, getting back to playing top minutes, playing special teams, doing all the things that, you know, hockey is all about. Of course, if there's anyone that needs to step up to defend a teammate, whatever, I'm there for it, but I'm not going to look for it. I'm not just going to only fight for, for the sake of fighting. And that's what we did. We went to Denmark, or I went to Denmark. Uh, we had arguably one of the best groups of guys I've ever played with alongside last year's team. And we won the championship my first year in Denmark, played for a coach called Mark Peterson, unbelievable coach as well. And um, yeah, we had an amazing time there and uh, it was very, very successful. And Esberg is the town I played for. That's going to, it's a place where yeah, it's it's probably my favorite season ever because it was my fit first season in in Europe, and we had such a such a tight group that um, and, and we won, which made it like the cherry on top. Yeah, yeah. So bring us through real quick because uh, you play in uh, Slovakia, you played in Italy, 
Um, I'm not familiar just personally with the VHL. Talk a little bit about that as as well. And of course, you were also in the, I think, Dell or the Dell 2 in Germany. Yeah. Uh, after Denmark, um, we had a good, I had a good year personally, statistics wise and everything wise. Uh, there's some interest everywhere. And one of the one of the opportunities that came up was Dell. And this is something that I was striving for. I was holding off on. And it ended up not going through the last minute. Um, it was the Straubing Tigers, and uh, they ended up going with someone else last minute, which happens. And it was a little bit late in the summer, and I was like, dang, like, now what? And my agent said, look, there's a team offering good money, big money in Russia. But I can't guarantee you that I can take care of stuff for you there. Stuff goes south there, it goes south, and you're going to have to deal with it on your own because that's just how Russia is. And I said, all right, well... What kind of money are we talking? So he told me, and then I was like, all right, well, that's very interesting. And he goes, the other thing is it's not in Russia. It's in Kazakhstan. The team is in Kazakhstan. And I was like, what? Like, I, <laughs> of course, of course, just like anyone else in North America, like the only thing I'd ever heard about Kazakhstan was Borat, right? So I'm right. going, Kazakhstan has hockey. So, all right, I looked it up and, um, the good thing about that was my agent said, I know the general manager. There's a former Ranger, Sergei Namchinov, and um, he's the general manager there. And if he says stuff's going to be good, stuff's going to be good. And then I was like, well, you know what? Like, I got nothing to lose. I'm 25 years old. Why don't I just go try it? And uh, we were in first place since October something, October 20th. We didn't lose a single game all year. And um, yeah, it was fantastic. We were on fire. The city was buzzing. Um had a really nice time. Kazakhstan itself, I didn't see much of. I mostly just saw our little village where we lived. Okay, I say little, but 200,000 people, but still there's nothing else around. The nearest city was a thousand kilometers away from us. We flew everywhere. Like we were, we were in the very southeast part of Kazakhstan, a hundred kilometers from the Chinese border, separated only by mountains. The town was called Uskemenogorsk, and it's the the literal translation from what I was told is that city surrounded by mountains. The temperatures there in the winter would get minus 50, minus 60 Celsius, like next level cold. Um, it was a second world country, so I met, I seen a lot of uh, very, very, uh, I don't like using the word weird or strange, so I use different. But like I saw a lot of very different things from what we're used to in our in our cultures. And honestly, well, obviously, honestly and obviously, I went back for a second year. So I was going to say, honestly, I wouldn't change anything because I had such an amazing time there. And it shows by it because I went back another year. Like it was very, very different, but in a very good way in terms of taking life experiences with you. Like the people there who have the least give the most. Um, the, the things they eat there, like one of the main things they eat is horse. They, there's wild horses there. And like, when you go to the grocery store, just like where we, when we go to get steaks and fish, they have steaks, fish, horse. Wow. So it's just so many things where you're like, Oh my gosh, like, is this, I guess this is normal. Right. And then you, you try it because it's part of the culture and it's not that different. And I don't know. It's just, it was very, very uh eye-opening and very very cool i guess is the best word to describe it for for a league what were some of the other teams like where were you going and of course i'm sure there were a bunch of imports from all over right so each team only had two imports so it was two my imports 
So it was myself and a Canadian called Jordan Southorn. We were, we were the only two uh, imports on the team and actually one of, or the only two on the whole team who spoke English, maybe two or three guys had some broken English. Uh, one, one goalie, my first year, Alexi Ivanov was, is his name. He plays now in the Saudi Arabia league. Uh, he spoke pretty good English. So like he would translate for us, but it was just him and I. So there was two teams in Kazakhstan, two teams in China and 26 teams in Russia. So everywhere we went, we flew, we had our own airplane that we flew with and, uh yeah it was it was extremely interesting let's say that uh yeah i mean um give us one uh, i hate to put you on the spot but give time oh you broke up there jim what'd you say give us what yeah give us an interesting or crazy story during that time because that's a crazy league Uh uh-huh well the craziest thing off the top of my head that i would say is on a long list of crazy stories that I have, um, the, we barely got any days off, right? Like in Russia, they believe in going all out. If you're not tired, you didn't work hard enough. Like they don't believe really in rest, this and that. Very old school. And we finally had a day off. It was a uh, Friday night game and we were supposed to have Saturday off. So we went, we went all out Friday in the game. After the game, the manager comes in and says, hey guys, like congratulations on the win. Um, tomorrow though, we have to go to, uh, um, the main city there, Almaty, uh, because we didn't get our, I forgot to get our visas for our Chinese trip, but it's just, we're just going to go there get the stamps and come back. And we had our own plane. So we're like, whatever, like we'll go out tonight, meet up at the rink in the morning, and then we'll go get on the plane, our flight stamp and back. So that's what happens, except we didn't mean in the morning. We're, uh, we got to leave real late. We drive, we get on our bus from our rink, drive. Okay, let's go to the airport. We drive past the airport. Where are we going? Oh, yeah, someone rented our plane. We're, get, we're doing the train. 28 hours on the train without anyone telling us. Like, no one told us. We're like, what do, you, what do you mean? Yeah, the plane's not there, so we're taking the train. And the Russians, like, they didn't care. All right, well, whatever. We'll grab a couple of cases of beer and we'll just sit on a train. It's a sleeper train as well. We do a 28-hour drive there. So we arrive there on a Sunday. And the embassy is like, yeah, we're, we don't, you have an appointment? And our manager was like, no, but we need our stamps. Like, we play hockey. And he's like, you, you need an appointment at an embassy. <laughs> luckily, luckily, so yeah, guy, we're screwed. So luckily, there's a guy on our team. Uh, Damir Rispayev. I don't know if you remember several years back in the KHL, there was that guy that played and beat up that whole Chinese team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From Barris. So he was on our team and his dad is a big politician. He's like the right-hand man of the Kazakh president or something along those lines. And he goes, I'll fix this and calls his dad. Embassy lets us in, gets our stamps. But Russians have two stamps or sorry, two passports, a Russian one and an international one. So they passed over their international one. So they still have an ID. But Saudi and I, we each only had our one ID. And we, so we had to leave it there. So we were like kind of sketchy going, man, like that's probably like the number one thing you don't do is leave. Like you should have your passport on you at all times. Right? <laughs> like that's your lifeline, your way out of the country if shit goes south. And we ended up, no, no, everything's good. Everything's good. Like they're going to do it. It's going to take a couple of days. They're going to mail it man like i guess we, we really don't have a choice so we ended up doing it then we ended up going 
back to the train station to go back home another 28 hours. But the, the guy at the security goes, ah, oh, passport. And I was like, I don't have it. I just dropped it off at the, at the security, like, or at the embassy. And they're like, well, you can't get on the plane or the train if you don't have your passport. So they, they ended up doing this thing where they fit, like the, the, they organized a, a fake fight so that the security guard would go break up the fake fight between my teammates that I could sneak onto this train. So I was able to get home. That's just one of like where I'm going. The, and the, the manager's like, look, this is what we do. We make fight there. You running when security go there. I'm like, that's what, that's the plan here. And like, I got to hide on this train. Yes. One train go, you go sleep. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so that's what we end up doing. Yeah. I mean, we've talked to, uh, had on some players that have played in the KHL, both when it was like early on, like early two thousands, which is like they're, you know, they're being followed. They have to hire hitmen to get to the bank, to get their cash to, cause they only get paid in cash. They got to keep it in the GM's house in a safe to, uh, shit. Like, uh, um, one of our guests talked about getting on a plane, freezing in Siberia, they said, hey, make an announcement. we got to de-ice the plane. And a guy comes out and stands on the wing with an ice pick. Yeah, Matt, I have, an, I have a video on my old phone of our plane's propeller wouldn't start. And there's a guy up there ripping it up and down, trying to get it to move. Because they're like, oh, yeah, the thing's jammed. And we're like, all right, let's not fly. No, 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 this guy's going to fix it. Man, our, our equipment guys were smoking on our plane. The emergency exit was blocked by a bunch of hockey bags because it couldn't all fit underneath. It was just like, all right, let's just see what let's just see what happens. I told you before when we were texting, like, if you want to, we could have an entire podcast just about stuff that happened when I was playing in Russia. But ultimately, well, I, it's all it's all good, you know. We we need to make time for it because uh, I want to get back on your career. But yeah, if you don't mind, we'll have you back on soon. Uh, you know. <laughs> And, and give us the stories because our, our listeners love that stuff. We love it too. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, all right, so where are we going next? So from Russia, uh, my second year in Russia, Kazakhstan, I should say, but the Russian league, um, it was enough. Uh, let's say that. Like, okay, I did this for two years. Um, enough's enough. We lost first round of playoffs, which also doesn't go uh over well with the Russians when you lose. So like money was all of a sudden not being paid anymore. They're saying, if you want to stick around, stick around, we're going to have two practices a day and two workouts a day. And we're gonna have, you're going to have to sweep the floors in the ring to like, just do stuff. We're not just going to pay you for free. So I was like, all right, keep the money. I'm out of here. Yep. And uh, I, what did I go after that? Oh yeah. Uh, we, my, my grandfather was very sick and, I wanted to be close to home again. I hadn't been really close to home. Denmark, I mean, relatively close. It's like a, a 10, 12-hour drive, so that was too far. But now I said to my agent, if we can find something when I can be close to home where I can – my sister just had a baby, so a lot of reasons for me to be close to home. I wanted to be able to drive home. and But now I'm in the Delta 2 was that uh, three-hour drive, so I did that there for a year. Uh, again, a very cool experience. I'm the kind of guy that takes like, I like to take the positives out of everything. Even when something's not as great, try to find something. And we didn't have a very successful year. We lost, uh, four one in the first round of playoffs. They have a very passionate fan base there and we disappointed the fans, um, ultimately. And that's obviously not a success. Pretty much everywhere I go, I either make it to the finals or win a championship, and that was an exception. So um, 
yeah, it wasn't a good year in terms of hockey, but uh, again, met some really nice people, a lot of nice memories. Um, yeah, and after that, I went to Slovakia. I actually had a Japanese deal. I wanted to go to Japan. That was my dream, like to go play in Asia. I lived in Thailand for four summers before that when my uh, mom was sick. And uh, I spent four summers in Thailand, uh, one in Bali, two in China. I like to spend all over the place. I'm a bit of a nomad in that sense, if you will. And then, um, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Then I got a deal in Japan, which fell through last minute. And because I had verbally agreed to this deal in Japan, um, I told all, the, all my other offers, like, no, I'm going to, to Japan. And when that fell through, all of a sudden I had nothing. And it was like end of end of June, even like the first or second week of July. And one of my buddies who I played with in the States, Alex Barron had signed in Slovakia and Mikhailovsa, the team that had just went up from the second league to the top league. And he decided for family reasons not to go there. And he basically said, look, I can't come, but I know a guy that's going to be able to replace me. Um, if you'll take, like, if you'd like to hear, and basically they called me right away and they said like, look, Alex just said, he's not coming, but we'd be very, very happy if you took his spot. And that's how I ended up in Slovakia. Nice. And then um, you move on to play in Italy as well. Correct. Uh, well, I spent three, three seasons in Slovakia, two and a half. Then I went uh, my third year there. I went to Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah. Okay. In the Austrian league first. Uh, we won the championship there two seasons ago. And from there, I ended up going to uh, Bolzano in the, in the same league as Salzburg, except we, our team was based uh, just on the other side of the Austrian border in Bolzano, Italy. We've talked to uh, quite a few that play in the uh, UK EIHL, their elite league. And, mm. uh, and quite a few of them, you know, they talk about everything's like a one-year deal. If you get a two-year deal then you're like a star player. They really want you. Is that similar to uh, a lot of other European leagues where it's, it's one-year deals, maybe two-year deals. It doesn't seem like everybody inks long-term deals over in Europe. Yeah, I would say that's pretty true. Um, I think it depends on the team's ownership. Each owner is, you know, they take some, some owners say, if we can lock this guy down, like it's only beneficial for the next few years, but if things don't click, then you might want to have a, like you might want to have a fresh start and re remake your whole team. Uh, I know that our owner from past season isn't very keen on making multi-year deals uh, also because of the last times that he had done it, it didn't pan out the way he expected. So he kind of learned from his, uh, and not mistakes, but he learned from his experiences. And so, yeah, some people are hesitant. Some people do. I know like, like for example, Asiago in our league, they also have a team in Italy. Um, I, I, from what I've heard, they signed guys to two, three year deals. And um, I think it goes, yeah, it's not necessarily the leagues or the teams, but mostly the owners. Yeah. And so bring us to last season. How did last season go for you? Uh, I think I mentioned it, but like last season was, you know, close to being my favorite season of my year of my career. The, it was an unbelievable group of, uh, of guys. Um, if you look on my Instagram, the post that I made, uh, it, I sent a text message to my girlfriend at the time when 
it was the seventh or eighth day of being at training camp. And I said, I think we will be champions this year. This is a special group. And it was like August 10th and we got there August 3rd or August 4th. And she had saved that uh, screenshot. And before game seven, she sent me this. And she said, remember what you said uh, six days into meeting these guys. And it just gives me, it gives me even goosebumps now just thinking about it because it was so true. Like every single guy in the team was, was a, you know, a puzzle piece to the, to a most complete puzzle. And um, yeah, we had an unbelievable coaching staff. We had Glenn Hanlon, who's a legendary NHL goalie and uh, just an amazing person. And uh, Fabio, our assistant coach was a very, very knowledgeable coach. Uh, our owner, uh, Dieter Knoll is his name. He's very, very passionate. If, for him, if it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be hockey in Italy. The guy like puts his sweat and tears into every single every single situation that has anything to do with Italian hockey. And um, the area where we live, like the fans are so passionate. We live literally on a street called Weinstrasse, which means wine street. We're surrounded by wine vineyards everywhere it's just, it's sunny all the time. Like it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic place to play. And um, yeah, the connection that we all had in the room was a big reason for our success. So it was uh, all around, uh, I guess I shouldn't say 10 out of 10 because we didn't lose, but like a 9.9 out of 10 then, or we didn't win, but uh, 9.9. Yeah. yeah. Now you also, as far as international play, which you've done as a pro, but you also U18, U20 represent your home country. Is there a way if, if I say, Canadians, Swedes, Germans, Russians. If I just say those types of players, would you be able to say, you know, like fast skaters, rough tumble, uh, whatever? Is, is there stereotypes that go along with players that come from a certain area? Uh, yeah, I think so. So uh, if I throw them at, so Canadians. I'd say physical, hardworking. Tough. Okay. Uh, Americans. Well, I'd say I put I put I put them in North America. In the same so North America. Okay. Um, how about Russian? Uh, skilled, fast, uh, soft. <laughs> no offense to any Russians listening, but yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> uh, uh, Russians are they are they built into more system play, or how? Uh, Russian hot, like. It's very robotic. It's this is what this is what the coach says. This is what we do. No yeah. one has a say. It's just a, it's a ranking uh, system. Like you, it's like in the army. You know, you don't talk if you're if you're a soldier. You, you don't talk to your lieutenant. You don't tell him what you think. You don't give him your opinion. It's just like it doesn't matter because the lieutenant says do this. This is what you do, and that's how it is in Russia. You just you you do as you're told. Uh, checks. I haven't played in Czech, uh, but from what I know, very skilled. I'd say Czech play a very all-around game, a little bit of everything. And, you know, they're always an international play. You you played there for a while, Slovakians. Yeah, Slovakians are – um, the more east you go in Europe, the more, like, Russians they get. Okay. Uh, Slovak is a, bit of a, is a bit of a blend of Russia and modern-day Europe in terms of um, – yeah, you don't really say what you think unless you're that guy who can. So, you know, the coach decides something and then decides with like two or three other older guys on the team, basically asks for their input. 
And that's the decision, whether anyone else likes it or not. Like it's the older guys that make decisions in, in the Slovakian uh, hockey league that I, that I found. So it seems like, I mean, pick any of these leagues where you've got a lot of, I guess, if I say native players, not sure if that's the right word, but native players with a bunch of imports, it must be tough being a captain on a team of trying to get these guys together. Or is it just everybody keeps their mouth shut and just do what you're told? Well, again, it depends on where you're at. Like, for example, this past season, Lenny, our coach, he said, like, I don't believe in making an import a captain because these guys are uh, imports come and go. And there's there's people that are from here who know who know how things work and they're from the city and they represent the city. So we have a we have captains and then uh, assistant captains and then we have sort of a, a leadership group just to put in just to, to, to for some feedback and input on things and. I just think that's a more of a modern way of, of, of thinking, not even just of coaching, but just of being a human being like, Hey, this is what I think based on this idea. What do you guys think? Maybe I don't see it from your point of view. And like, let me, let me know what you think, because I'd love to see a different point of view. And then based on all the different points of view, we can gather, we can come up with an ultimate decision. And at the end of the day, the coach is the coach and makes the final decision. But a coach like Glennie last year, you know, he'd always, he'd always say, I'm open to discussion on this, but I think this, what do you guys see? So it's a, uh, it's a very interesting approach or a very, very modern day approach, I should say. So you're back in the position of it's off season. Um, what are the plans? What are not to give away anything if there's anything to give away, but what, what are your plans? I'm sure you're back into going to find a team, find where you're a good fit. Yeah, uh, I do have offers right now. Um, but uh, our owner in Bolzano from this past season likes to take uh, some time off after the season and sort things out. So I'm being patient to see what goes on there. And uh Based on that, I'll take my next steps. Um, for me, I want to enjoy hockey. I don't want to go to rink to go to the rink with uh, negative energy. I don't want to be around a coach who's constantly screaming and yelling. Like I've been there, I've done that. I, I'm 34 years old. I'm getting towards the well. It's, I'd like to play as long as I can, but uh, I'm getting towards the end of my career in terms of age that I know. Obviously, I'd love to be an exception, like a yager or something, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I do do my best to stay healthy and, and all that stuff. I love working out and staying in shape, but uh, my next steps are just enjoying the next few days. I take every day as it comes and uh, yeah, take a, take it a day at a time and see what comes on my plate. All right. I'm going to finish with usually Andrew and I, we do a, a rapid round of uh, uh, what we call lightning round questions. So whatever pops in your head, it could be a name, could be a place, uh, if you've got a story, feel free. The time is yours, but we're going to put you on the spot with some, I'm going to put you on the spot with some questions. Let's do it. So, um, and again, you might say, man, there's so many, uh, you might have to narrow it down to one or two and apologies to any player that you might forget, but here's the first one. I'm not going to talk, uh, fight wise. I'm talking about strength. Somebody that you have a trouble moving in front of the net since you're a defenseman. Has there been a player – who's the strongest player that you played against in front of the net? I'd say uh, the captain of Team Austria. He's also the captain of the Red Bull Salzburg team, Thomas Raffle. Unbelievably strong guy. What makes him strong? Is it just – is he just big or is he just 
He's yeah, he's big. He's very big. He's got and he's very like he's big and strong. I don't know what else to describe. Yeah, that. he's just absolute, huge. Absolute unit. Yeah. Strong guy. He's really, really tough to move. All right. Now dropping the gloves. Uh, who's been a guy that's just throwing suitcases at you, you know? Uh I, I fought Danique Paquette a couple times. Uh we had some good tilts together. And then um yeah. In terms of that besides that i i didn't really ever get the shit kicked out of me and like real bad so uh yeah i mean the best fights i've had i probably with paquette okay that awesome guy too like just the nicest guy which i always find in fighters you know <laughs> yeah one or Funny. two um who are favorite line mates with you um i really had a really nice time with my past defense partner cole Hultz. um and then uh, Jordan Southhorn, me and him had a very special and tight group or tight bond when we were in Russia, basically because we didn't really have anybody. Yeah. But uh, and I, uh, we had a good time. And I mean, as a, as a line mate, I only have one person to pick from, right? I'm a defenseman. So he's my, they're my only D partners. I know that uh, you might not get as many shots on goal as a forward, but a uh, goalie that's the hardest to score on uh, or a goalie that's impressed you the most. Uh, again, I'm going to have to go with the guy that was on my team last year, Sam Harvey, a uh, young guy, uh, has won a lot of things in a very short amount of time, extremely professional, nicest guy off the ice and uh, extremely hardworking all around, like amazing person and hockey player. You've been in, you've been playing for a long time. Has the, has the technique of goaltending, have you seen a major change from when you were a team to now? Or is it, you know, has always been, I know that they've gone to the butterfly, but it just seems like goalies have become bigger. They're wearing bigger pads. Maybe they just seem to like be everywhere and stopping everything. I'm watching the playoffs here and I'm just amazed at Bobrovsky and all these goalies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I can say anything about the, the style or the, the, the change in technique, but I, I know what you're saying. Like, they're on another level. If you have a good goalie, you're going to win every night. And that's a major reason of our success uh, in terms of style change. Like my first year in Denmark, we had a goalie called Jeff Frazee. He played a few games in the NHL as well. And he was a stand-up goalie. We were in the finals against Hanning and they, they had their cameras in the locker room and their coaches going like, fucking shoot the puck on the ice. This guy doesn't go down. How is it possible? He's saving every puck, you know, and he's just standing there kicking all the pucks away. Like, and he was unbelievable. We won the championship with him. So um, yeah, it, it probably since, since Fraser's time, maybe it's changed, but uh, you know, everything still works. Wow. Wow. Um, can you remember and bring us through your first pro goal? My very first pro goal. Yeah. It was in, uh, it was the farm team of Detroit Grand Rapids, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was that. It was uh oh no, that was my first AHL goal. But uh yeah, it was just a face-off uh in the ozone, won it back to me, and I just it was a rolling puck. And uh I've always been told shoot a rolling puck at all times because it's all no one knows where it's going, including yourself. And you know, you might get lucky, and that's what happened on my first AHL goal. Any uh, pregame ritual superstitions? Yeah, I have those. Can you give us one? <laughs> uh, 
I bring my stick with me everywhere I go on a game day. As soon as I get to the rink, when I do my runs or whatever, like I, I'll take my stick and that's my stick and stays with me until I bring it on the ice. Even when I run, even when I stretch, even when I take my pregame shits, like it's with me. <laughs> awesome. Um, any crazy or embarrassing moments in a warm up um, or during a game? We've heard uh, a few. My, my jock slipped out of my pants at one point in juniors so uh i don't know was, i was in front of the net and i saw something fell on the ground it was a jock and I, I, I still don't know how that happened but um i guess that's the craziest and at the same time embarrassing moment i don't really it's not that embarrassing but yeah yeah um this is going to be great because you've been literally everywhere in the world um two first the worst ice conditions of an arena and the second is the worst locker room you've ever been in. Huh. Um, man, the worst locker room I've ever been in. It's gonna it's gonna be in Russia for sure. Um, it's tough to say anything bad about. Like I don't want to shit on anything because, like I said, like I like to take the positives out of something and like. Yeah. I just, if something's really bad, it just makes me appreciate something else a little bit more. Right. So, but like, there are some absolute dumps that I've been to where you're going like, how are people living here and how are people playing here? And then of course the, the ice, like in the beginning of the season is tough when it's still like 35 degrees Celsius outside and t and ranks are trying to put good ice in. Like it's not, it's not really possible. But I, I, I remember in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, when I was in juniors, we had a game canceled because there was too much fog. Like after five minutes, just like we can't play. You could shoot the puck from one side to the other and the goalie had no idea where it was coming. So we were just like hoping we knew where the net was and shooting it. Um, just thinking off the top of my head, in the Dell 2, at least we heard in the Dell 2, I believe, that they, some rinks are outside. Did you experience that at all? Yeah, my, my rink. Your rink was? Yeah, it was like one, it was like three fourths outdoors, it was just the roof. Over, and then the one was just the wall where the offices were. Um, but the ice was unbelievable, especially in the winter because it was so cold. And the only thing was the sunshine because uh, the sun would glare off the ice so bad that if, it, if the goalie would put his net in the crease, wouldn't be able to see anything. So we move it and then head over to the far bottom of the circle. So that's where we have to do our drills because there was too much glare on the ice at a certain point in the morning at a certain point in the year. Wow. Wow. Well, Mike, I don't want to take any more time. Uh, thank you so much. Hang on. We'll say goodbye off air, but uh, officially we can't thank you enough, man. This has been great. Yeah. You're welcome. Hey, can I throw a little something out there quick? Yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah. So this year, um, this past season, uh, I started a clothing brand called What a Life. Okay. I'm wearing I'm wearing it right now. Uh, I don't know if you have some kind of link or whatever to the Instagram, but uh, it's basically a positivity brand. Uh, and the idea behind it is is that with all the mental health and stuff going on in in, in the past few years, that um, and I like I like I mentioned about my mom. There's been a, a lot of stuff that I've struggled with and went through, but. Basically, I started this brand and it's uh, it's called What a Life because that's something I like to say. I like to say, man, what a life. And it's in very small moments during my day and basically something to create your own energy with. And so um, the back, like I, it's, I got a big logo on the back that I've specifically designed. Nice. And uh, it's it's just I, I released it this past uh, on my birthday in, in January and it's been going unbelievable. So 
um yeah if somebody is interested like maybe jim can tag uh the the the, the instagram or whatever yeah so i was gonna say and, and since we have listeners we talked about it before we got on literally all over the world um where can they where can they find this where can they go and we will tag whatever you need us to tag in our twitter post so like I start, so I ended, it's all organic, everything. And the idea behind it was that I wanted, I want to order a few, just like a, a little bit. So I ordered 400 shirts, four different colors, 300 hoodies, three different colors and hats. Like this is one of the hats, for example. Oh, nice. Nice. And um, I wanted it to, to learn about the industry. I've never done anything with fashion. I've never done anything with uh, retail. So, I, but it went so unbelievably fast that I almost sold, like I sold out of my hoodies and my hats right away. 300 pieces as uh, 500 hats like everything's gone so right now i'm redesigning the website's still being built at the, right now everything's still through instagram yeah um so it's just been like unbelievable uh how fast it went so right now uh the only way to reach me is through instagram but i'm the website's currently being built and i'm hoping that by the beginning of next season i'll have everything officially done now, um, some people don't follow us on Twitter. They just don't do Twitter. We don't really don't do Instagram. Do you can do you know the Instagram name off the top yeah, of your head? Uh, what a life underscore style. There you go. So, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll basically, see. just the lifestyle, man. What a life. Take the positive out of the small things. A nice smell, uh, a nice view. And I th for me, I think energy is contagious, right? Negative as well as positive. So if you if you can take the positive energy out of small things, like and you carry that energy with you, it just makes everyone around you a better person. And that's kind of what I'm aiming for. And that's kind of the message that I'm hoping to share with this clothing brand. Perfect. Hey, that's a great way to end the show here, man. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you too. All right. Hang on.